0: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you that as we look at your word, as we study, Father, that we might be nourished by your truth. Father, that you might stir up our affections for you, stir our souls for you. Father, that we might look to you as our only hope and cling to you in our time of need. Father, I pray that we would see this morning just how beautiful you are. And Lord, that it might change us. Lord, that we might be drawn away from sin into yourself. God, that we might see that sin in its ugliness and in its lying robs us of the joy that we have in Christ above. So, Father, would you help us to turn our eyes to you and to learn, Father, that you might help us to walk in holiness for your sake. God, that we might show a lost and dying world the difference you make in the human heart. Lord, may we do it all for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Walking in holiness is necessary, it is possible in Jesus, and it matters. But not just the walking in holiness matters, the motivation for why we do it also matters. Uh, I've shared this illustration before. We're coming up on Mother's Day next weekend, just in case you had forgotten. Here is your one week warning that next week is Mother's Day, so make sure that you plan accordingly. But if we only show love on the days where we're told we have to, if we only give gifts on the days we're told we must, men in the room, if we only give gifts on the days where if we don't, we get in trouble. Is that the proper motivation for loving and serving our wives? My guess is they would see through that rather quickly. Because it's not just about the outward act that matters. It's not just about a gift given. It's the motivation behind why it's given. And this morning, I believe that is still true when it comes to our walk of holiness as believers. The reason we do it matters even more than what we do. And this morning, I want to show you it's ultimately not about being religious, but about being redeemed in Christ. So the title that I've given this morning to this sermon is Our Walk Reveals Our Worship. Our walk reveals our worship. And it's important to understand the background to what's happening in this letter. Paul is writing this letter most likely uh, in prison in Rome. Uh, He is writing this while he is on house arrest. Uh, This book is often uh, linked together with others like Ephesians and Philemon. And what we find here in the book of Colossians is Paul is addressing a particular problem that exists within this particular church. That in this church in Colossae, heretics, or at least one heretic, has arisen within the church to seek to lead people away from the truth And towards lies. We see this in several different places. We see it particularly in chapter 2, where Paul makes mention on a couple of occasions about what they were uh, seeking to lead people astray with. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, So we know that this heretical teaching that's taking place is tied in some way to philosophy and empty deceit and tradition, human tradition. He goes on in verse 16 and says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So apparently they were getting very legalistic about different things within religious life. Not only that, but he goes on in verse 18 and says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. All right, so imagine. Let me see if you guys can understand what's happening here. Do you ever, have you ever heard of or do you know of any folks who might be deemed religiously kooky? Weird. Some who believe and talk a lot about heavenly visions and things they've been told directly by God. Things that uh, obviously don't line up with what the scriptures teach. Those who are seeking after some mystical or additional spiritual wisdom that they feel they can find or ascertain. Those who believe that it's all about what you do on the outside as the primary problem. Those who might walk in legalism. Do you know any Christians or people within the church who might lean towards those things? Well, just so you know, that's what was happening in Colossae. A group of false teachers are promoting a type of holiness, a type of holy living void of love for Jesus. Just simply trying to clean up the old life. Simply trying to clean up their act and get right. The focus is on self-improvement and self-attainment. This would never happen today. We would never have people who promote themselves as Christian teachers or pastors or leaders who would tell you that the most important thing is to clean up your act and try harder. You would never ever hear of supposed Christians talking about gaining some additional spiritual insight that's missing in the Bible. Matter of fact, I could tell you that most of the times in Christian bookstores, the book the shelves are lined with all kinds of Bible codes and all kinds of if you stare at the page long enough, you'll find some mystical wisdom that if you just knew where to find it and who to talk to, you might gain a greater spiritual understanding and superiority see these heretical teachers i believe were teaching that they that those in the church could gain special spiritual mystical knowledge if they just followed the right people and listened to the right teachers you know what paul is going to tell them nope It's not about following some special teacher. It's not about gaining some super secret spiritual knowledge through some human teacher that you're going to follow. It's not about gurus in the church. What Paul is going to point us to is if you want to know how to live a holy life, if you want to know what it means to glorify God, if you want to live in a way that honors Him, then look to Jesus, look to Christ. So for those of us in the room who may have a tendency to focus on simply cleaning up the outside without focusing on the inside, for those of us who may be prone to step back into legalism, for those of us who may be tempted to go find some mystical spiritual knowledge somewhere outside the Bible, let these words be an encouragement and a challenge to each of us. He tells us in chapter 3, And I've broken it. I've tried to make it as simple as I can for my own brain. So I'm going to give you three things. These are commands that are given in these verses. And they are to seek, set, and slay. We're going to seek, set, and slay. These are all commands that are given. And one thing I've mentioned to you before, church, is that God doesn't just say, do this thing because I said so even though he has every right to do that. But when God gives commands, what does he link it to? Well, God links the commands he gives to truth statements or reality, what is real. We call them indicatives that lead to imperatives. That God doesn't say, just do it because I said so. He says, do this because this thing is true. So I want you to see that this morning as we look at what it means to seek and to set and to slay. I want you to focus with me on the seeking And setting first, which are in verses 1 through 4. Paul says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are called here to realize the truth of who we are in Jesus. That that actually living a life of holiness starts with worship first. It starts with adoration first. We're told these are commands for you as believers to seek the things which are above and to set your mind on the things which are above. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to to seek the things above or to set your mind on the things above? Well, notice what he makes reference to. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why should you turn your focus, seek, and set the things that are above? Well, according to what Paul just said, it's because that's where Jesus is. This is a picture of setting your eyes. It means to worship him. It means to walk after him. It means to set your attention to him. See, identity with Christ is primary in this whole discussion of what it means to live a holy life. To walk after Jesus, you must know Jesus and be in relationship with him. Identity with Christ is necessary to walk in true holiness for the glory of God. We are to seek The things that are above, we are to set our mind on the things that are above. And by the way, those commands, those commands are present tense. Which means you have to keep on doing these things. Now, why would you need to keep on seeking the things above? Why would you need to keep on setting your minds on the things above? Well, I mean, think about it. We are surrounded every day with lures to other loves and other treasures. Every morning we wake up, it's another battle. Are, are we going to chase after what the world offers? Or are we going to chase after what Christ has already purchased for us? It's a decision every day of how we're going to approach that. Where is our mind going to be set? And just so you know, we have to continuously seek the things above and set our minds on the things above because we're constantly bombarded with love the world, love the things the world can offer, put your ultimate joy and treasure into things that you can touch and see and taste. Because of that, we have to keep on seeking what's above. How do we seek what's above? We set our minds on things above, where Christ is. This is a concentration on who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. I get nervous every year because every year I have to go get my vision test done at Walmart. And I hate doing this. And there's one particular test I can't stand. They, they sit you in the chair and they make you stare into this machine, and inside the machine, there's a picture of a, of a house sitting on like a hill. You know what I'm talking about? And you go in there, and in order to do the test, I mean, the test is meant to shoot some demonic air into your eye that is painful and terrible, and you never know when it's going to hit, and it drives me crazy. But you have to sit there, and they tell you, okay, I need you to stare at that thing, that house, And I'm a nervous wreck. I'm in there just like, oh, don't blink. Because if I blink and they gotta redo it, I'm gonna have to go through this whole tragedy again. So I'm sitting there. I never concentrate harder than when I'm at that test. Just, oh, I can't blink right now. I gotta stare at that house. Actually induces trauma. But it's that picture of concentrating, staring so hard, concentrating, making it the center of your focus. That's the picture we get from this idea of continually seeking uh, the things that are above and setting our minds on the things above. It means to not just give it a passing glance, but to focus on it, concentrate on it. Listen, folks, i got to remind us every single day we've got to concentrate on Jesus. You've got to because the world around you will seek to lure you in other ways that don't honor him, that will seek to be your treasure. And I hate to break it to you, so often in my life I'm too busy staring at other stuff that I see that I'm not looking at Jesus, and I have it for a while. Holiness starts with worship because to seek and to set your mind on things above is nothing less than to worship Jesus as supreme, to treasure him more than anything this life can offer. Why is that necessary? Because, oh, we are so quickly led astray, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And, oh, if we could concentrate on Jesus and focus on him. When I went out and visited a friend, uh, when I went and visited Dave, Dave the pastor of the Oasis out in Las Vegas, I stayed in his house. And he had a dog. And and they were busy. I was just there to be a help to them while they were getting ready to launch the church. I was just there to, to encourage them and go, hey life is going to keep going. It's not all over. And, and they would be busy doing other stuff. So there are often times in the morning that I'd just be at their house and I didn't have anything to do. I was just sitting there until something happened. Well, they had a dog. And I quickly found out that if, if you have a dog, then there's always something to do. Because even sitting there in that chair, the dog didn't know me, picked up a tennis ball, brought it over to me and sat it down. Okay, now I'm not an idiot. I know what this means. So what do you do? Good. We accomplished that task. It's over. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that dog went and got it. Brought it back. Okay, okay, five minutes of doing this, it'll be over. No, 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 no. 30 minutes after doing it, this will be over. No, 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 no. It's never over. That dog will play catch for the rest of all eternity, I believe, if allowed. That's that can... See... When it comes to looking and seeking the things that are above, laying my eyes on Jesus, turning my eyes back to him, guess what? I need to be like that dog. I need to be constantly, I can't shake it. I've got to go back to him again and again and again. I can't take my eyes off him. I can't. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm so, you've heard the heavenly mighty do no earthly good, but it means that everything I do should be in constant, concentrated, fixing my gaze upon Christ in everything that I do over and over and over again. It is to focus on the sovereign reign of Jesus over all of creation, to know he is the victor, he is the one who has won. And by the way, this type of seeking and setting should invade every part of our lives. We shouldn't simply be focusing and concentrating on Jesus in certain parts of our life, but in every area of our lives. This is to me this is the picture of prioritizing Christ in your daily life. Prioritizing Jesus. Turning your eyes to the one who is the conqueror of sin, to the one who has broken every stronghold. It is to behold him. It is to constantly and continuously seek where he is. Set our minds on him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Oh, I need to be reminded of that because so often living a holy life can seem divorced from it. Living a holy life can seem to be, well, I'm just here. i got to do what I've been told to do. And the, lo- the motivation behind it is lost because we stop looking at Christ and we start looking at ourselves. I believe that's what the false teachers in Colossae are seeking to do. Turn everybody's focus away from Jesus to what can you do for yourself? So we must be active in seeking and setting. And he tells us it's our identity in Christ that matters because he tells us, what are the indicatives? What, he tells you these are commands. Seek, set your minds on the things above. What's the true statement that those are based on? Well, verse 1, you've been raised with Christ. Verse 3, you've died with him. Verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. What is he telling you? You seek And you set your mind on Christ because of who you are in him. Because you've been raised with him. Because you've died. Because the old man is gone. Because you've been raised to new life. And one day you will be raised to dwell with him forever. Because these things are true, now set your minds on the things above. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. So what he's telling us is it starts with Jesus and then these things come. Because we're new creations, it is necessary we do them and it's possible to do them because of what he's accomplished for us. This is good news because it means it's not about your effort, it's not about you, it's about him. And that's good news because if it's based on us, we're all in trouble. But because you're a new creation, Christians in the room, Jesus has died for you. And because he died, you've died in him. Jesus was buried, and because he was buried, you were buried with him. And Jesus was raised from the dead, and because he was raised, you too shall be raised. Because these things are true, your identity is not in the world anymore. You're not a citizen of this. You belong to him. You're a citizen of heaven. You belong to the king. And as such, set your minds on the things above. Seek the things above. All right? That's enough, right? Worship Christ. God be with you all. But there's a practical application to it, isn't it? And that's one of the things we're dealing with in this sermon series that we're doing coming off of Easter is we're looking at why the resurrection of Jesus matters for daily life. Well, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, guess what? You, you have no new life. If Jesus is dead, you're still dead. If he didn't raise from the dead, then you have no new life, in which case you can't live in a way that honors God at all. And you never can that's tough. But in Jesus, not only should you, but you can live in a way that honors God. It's who you are. And because he's died and rose again, we too walk in this newness of life and that newness of life matters. So what does it mean? What's the practical application of seeking the things that are above or setting your minds on the things above? What does that look like? Well, This is where we get to the slaying. He tells us in verse 5 and then again in verses 8 and 9 that the practical outworking of a relationship with Jesus, new identity in him, the practical outworking of setting your eyes back on Jesus every day constantly is that you and I as believers would be busy slaying sin. Now, the first two Verbs. The first two commandments that we have are to are to do these things continuously. They're present tense. The next two are aorist tense. And this is just a fancy way of saying that the idea behind these two commands that are coming is that you would do them right now. These are urgent. These are things you should not wait for. That as you are seeking the things above and setting your minds on Jesus, you should be urgently doing this as well. What is it? Well, he says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he starts listing out sin. So the practical outworking of focusing on Jesus and setting our eyes on him is that we will be busy urgently killing sin. Put it to death. that, 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 That says something, doesn't it? The next command he gives is he tells us in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. These are two urgent commands. Why the urgency? Why treat it so seriously? Well, because in the life of a believer, we cannot, we cannot allow sin to have room in our hearts. It's urgent because sin is present. It's urgent because sin is deadly. John Owen, the Puritan theologian said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We're either doing battle and waging war against sin as believers or sin is reigning over us, having its way, slaying us. The the picture of putting it to death is a picture that is violent. It is painful. It's hard work to slay sin because sin doesn't want to go quietly. It's hard, painful work to slay and to battle sin. It's not easy, but the work of slaying sin is tied to the worship of Jesus, and the more our eyes are fixed on him, the uglier sin looks, and the more passionate we get about killing it. See, the backdrop of the beauty of Christ is what makes sin look so wicked and ugly. When you behold the beauty of Christ and what he's done, sin looks stupid. And we as Christians who have set our eyes, set our minds on the things above, and we're seeking the things that are above where Christ is, those of us who are concentrating on Jesus, turning our eyes back to him again, we will be slaying sin, putting it to death, leaving no room for it. And this seriousness is not only because of how prevalent sin is, but also because of how deadly it is. And why is sin so deadly? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 6 and 7. But well, first of all, he lists out sins in verse 5 sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's interesting that that we know for sure four of those five are sexual sins are dealing with sexual defilement I wonder what God's teaching us maybe that this is one of the biggest sin problems that humanity will deal with is sexual sin covetousness which is idolatry and then he says in verse 6 on account of these the wrath of God is coming you want to know why you need to know why sin is so serious? Not only because of what it does between our relationship between us and God, but sin is serious because the judgment, the wrath of God is coming against sin and it's coming quickly. It's a rea- by the way that's a reality statement. That's a truth statement. This is what's going to take place. And because of that, there is an urgency to be slain Sin. And then he reminds us in verse 7 In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. He said, You used to all live in these things. You used to chase after sexual morality and desire and, and evil passions and covetousness. You used to chase after those things, but now put them all away. See, something definitively has happened in the hearts of people who have their trust in Christ. God does a magnificent work in redemption of putting to death the old self and making us new creations. We used to walk in these things when we were in allegiance with the evil one. We used to walk in the dominion of darkness, but no longer Paul tells us earlier in Colossians that God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. These things he lists, both in verse 5 and in verse 8, these are what used to mark the old life. How could we, who have been definitively changed by Christ, ever pursue these things? Find our ultimate joy in these things. Seek to find our treasure in these things that's the old life we've been made new in him I find it interesting that God gives us through Paul two separate lists of sins shouldn't one have sufficed to tell us that we're sinners and that wrath is serious The fact he gives us two lists, one in verse 5 and one in verse 8, tells me God really wants us to understand that in case you left yourself a loophole from verse 5, wait till verse 8 comes, that every single one of us finds ourselves in this reality of judgment. So don't suppose that as believers that we have dealt with these sins completely. It is a reality that as long as we breathe air, we will continue to wage war against sin. We will continue to battle and to slay sin out of the worship of Christ that is in our hearts. We're not perfect. We, like Paul, are able to say that forgetting what lies behind, we strive for what lies ahead. We have not been perfected, but God is doing a work in us progressively every single day as we seek the things that are above, and we set our minds on the things that are above, and we slay sin constantly. We do it because of what Christ means to us. We do it because we are new creations. We have new affections, new love for God. We have new priorities in Christ. We have new motivations behind what we do. We have new relationships. We are in a state of constant renewal through the work of Jesus. So we continue every day to seek the things above, to set our minds on the things above where Christ is, to be slaying sin, to be putting away all evil, like a dirty garment cast into the trash. We continue to do this because of what Christ has definitively done for us. He says in verse 9, the final command that's given in these opening 11 verses do not lie to one another. Well, I find that interesting because it's connected to verse 8, where he talks about the obscene talk that comes from the mouth the slander, the malice, the wrath, the anger. Then he says, and do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed after the image of its creator. We are being renewed every single day. And this renewal is taking place because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, that our old life has been crucified with him has been buried in the ground, and now we walk in newness of life and every day live out the reality of who we are in Jesus. But it means if we're Christians, we must take our sins serious and we must take worship of Christ serious. This is the process God is walking us through every single day. New identity that leads to new living. And this is something that no matter how great the spiritual knowledge is of the heretics in the church in Colossae, they cannot produce this. They cannot give new life. They cannot bring hope where there was nothing but despair. And so now we walk with urgency out of what Christ has done for us because we're in him, because we've been raised, we've died with him, our life is hidden with him, and we're going to appear with him in glory. Because wrath is coming, we take seriously the battle and the war against sin, the walk of holiness for his glory. So what does this mean for us? Well, where does our trust lie? What are we clinging to? Who or what are we worshiping? Because if it's not Jesus, then it's idolatry. Are we worshiping Christ or are we worshiping ourselves and our ability to clean ourselves? Are we living out our new identity in Jesus? Are we seeking the things above, setting our minds on the things above, slaying that which is earthly because we love Jesus supremely or because we're trying to make ourselves look better? One of the things I mentioned this morning when we were talking as leaders is we can actually battle sin sinfully. I don't know if you get that. We can actually battle sin sinfully. How do you sinfully battle sin? I would encourage you to find yourself the heretic in the church in Colossae, and he'll be happy to tell you how you can do it. Absolutely. You can get victory over an addiction. Right? Right? But that victory doesn't necessarily have to be because you love Jesus. Y'all know that, right? You... Can, can we all admit, pornography is a big deal in our culture. Sexual sin is a big deal in our culture. It was not theirs too, you can see. Well, just so you know... You can battle sexual sin and pornography. You can do that on your own, and you might actually find victory in it. You might set up enough boundaries. You can rip your internet out. You can give away all your electronics, and then you can have victory over pornography or sexual sin. But does that mean you love Jesus? Does that mean you do it because you're glorifying him? Or is it possible that you could do it because you want to go, "Woo, I'm superman. Motivation matters, doesn't it? Does God bring victory? Ultimately? Absolutely. Can we conquer sin? Absolutely. Through the power of what Jesus has done for us, what he has accomplished on the cross for us, we can actually wage war against sin and we can actually be victorious. But we better make sure that our holiness is attached to our worship of him. That that our walking in righteousness is because we love him supremely and we want him to have his way. That we love to see his sovereign reign over all creation infiltrate a little bit deeper and deeper every single day. So we have to ask ourselves, what's the motivation behind our righteous living Is it to make ourselves look good, or is it because we love Christ and worship Him supremely? Is it because we're trying to save ourselves and clean up our acts, or is it because we love Jesus that much that we hate sin that deeply? And then I'd ask, are we waging war against sin? As believers, are we waging war against sin? Or do we coddle it? treat it like a pet, put it away when we don't want it, but then bring it back out when we're ready? Or do we do the hard, violent, painful work of slaying that which doesn't honor Christ, the one whom we adore? See, all of this is good news because left to ourselves, we could never, ever find victory over sin. We could never, ever find victory in a way that that glorifies Him, in a way that honors Him, in a way that frees us from condemnation and from slavery to sin. But in Christ, if you are in union with him, then you have every ability to fight against sin and to find victory in him. That There is no sin that exercises dominion or power over you in Christ. He is so beautiful and he is so worthy of worship that he stirs up in our hearts a love for him that seeks to slay sin and to continue to focus our eyes back to him, to set our minds on him, to seek him wherever he is. That this morning, you as a believer in Christ can actually walk in holiness through the power of what God has accomplished through his son and you might actually be able to glorify God in your daily life. In your battle against sin, you show the beauty of Jesus and his supreme worth to you. How much he has endured for you. That he took the wrath that we deserved upon himself. So living matters, but don't ever disconnect how you live with who you're worshiping. Because our walk reveals our worship. And how could we ever walk after the world again? When our hope and our trust and our treasure is Jesus. So folks, there is a heavy hand to this, but there's also a great freedom in this. Because it means that every sin that you've ever committed is paid for by Jesus on the cross. That when you're in union with him, he has taken the punishment for all your sin. Including that which you haven't done yet. And because of that, it means you're free to walk in him. No longer under condemnation, but you're able to walk out of the abundant love and mercy and grace that he has shown you. What a great gift God gives us. That he doesn't say, here's a to-do list, do it so I don't strike you dead. But instead says, I have taken the punishment. I've taken your place. I've absorbed the wrath of God for you. Now walk in new life. Walk in the freedom that he provides through his own life, death, and resurrection. This is good news for Christians because it means it's not up to us. It's by the power of what Christ has done in us that we can honor him. The question is, are we? Are we still treasuring in him? Are we still trusting in him? Are we still looking upon him as the, the one we adore and treasure? And as a result, are we slaying sin? Are we destroying it? Are we killing it every day out of our love and worship of Christ? My prayer is that's the case. If it's not, today is the day to turn to him. If you're not tr- just so you know if you're not trusting in Jesus, you can't do these things and none of these things, right? Putting to death will make you right before God. Only Jesus can save. Only He has paid the punishment. So God's not saying clean up your life and get your stuff in order. What He's saying is trust in Christ who has taken the death for you. Who has absorbed the punishment for your sin. So if you're trusting and trying to be a good person and go to church and hope God will love you again. I'm not saying don't go to church. It's good stuff. But I'm saying that will never make you right with God. Instead, See the beauty of Christ and what he's done on the cross for you and trust in him. Trust in his work to save you from the depths of your sin. And Christians, how could we ever walk in the world in love of the things that the world offers when we've been given Christ everlasting, when we have new life in him? How could we ever chase after sin when we have our treasure in Christ? When we see how beautiful He is and what He has accomplished for us. So maybe as believers we need to understand that we've been got, maybe we've gotten a little lazy battling sin. Maybe we've, we've stopped seeking the things that are above. Maybe we've stopped focusing on Jesus and just tried to clean up our lives by our own efforts. Maybe this morning is a good time to remind ourselves that we need to worship Christ supremely and walk out of that worship. Live according to that worship. Do everything because we love Jesus that much. And in the beauty of Christ, sin looks wicked and defiling. And we hate it. So maybe as believers in the room, it's time to stop coddling sin and kill it. Maybe it's time to stop trying to do it by your own efforts and for your own glory and do it out of worship for Jesus because he changed you and made you new. This morning... Run to Jesus. Find the one who has taken the penalty. And as Christians, run to the one who is your treasure and live in the good news that he gives you the power to walk after him. Let us seek, set, and slay because Christ is our treasure. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And Father, I pray that we would see rightly today our sin through the lens of the beauty of Christ. Father, that you might help us to see that what we need more than anything is not to clean up our act or to try harder. God, what we need this morning is Christ. We need him. We need him supremely. And Father, would you help those in the room who maybe have dedicated their lives to trying to be good enough to earn salvation or good enough to be forgiven of their sin God would you show them that Christ has absorbed the punishment He is the sacrifice that is all sufficient to pay for our sin Father that there might be people here today that you would show them the ugliness of their sin and the beauty of Christ and that they might run to Him God that you would draw people to yourself Lord that they would see you and Father trust in you supremely God would you save souls today would you do it by your gracious hand? And Father, for us in the room as believers, would you help us to see that every day is an intentional fight and walk after Jesus. It's an intentional doing war and battle against sin. But it's a battle against sin that flows out of our worship for you. So Father, this morning, for us in the room, would you help us to behold the beauty of Christ, what he's done for us, what he's accomplished, and Father, that as we trust in him, we might put to death sin because Christ is our treasure. Lord, would you help us to walk in worship every day, turning our eyes anew back to you, and Father, seeing sin for what it is, the lie that can never satisfy. So Father, would you stir up in us a desire to walk in righteousness for your glory and because of your work. Lord, as we respond to you this morning, there may be some who, God, they need to trust in you for the first time. Would you draw them to yourself and rescue them? Father, there may be some in here who are battling sin and have been battling a particular sin for a long, long time. God, maybe today they need to see the beauty of who you are and bring that before you and to slay it, to kill it. Father, this morning you may have people in this room you may have brought this morning who feel the heavy weight of condemnation upon them. Father, would you help them to see this morning the forgiveness of Jesus and what he's accomplished. That as believers we can truly say while we battle sin and sometimes we do well and sometimes we don't. That as Christians this morning we can say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, help us live out of that freedom. Help us to live out of that joy and that worship that flows from being made new creations. Lord, have your way in our hearts that we might not only live for you, but point others to the beauty of who you are, that you can also save them too. Oh, Father, would you strip down legalism and would you remove all the things we do to convince ourselves that we can be our own saviors? Father, would you remove them completely and turn our eyes back to Jesus again? We are grateful this morning that he has paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. May you receive our worship today. Change us, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.